Hello and welcome to Buddha and the Body Coach. I'm Alexandra Stone and here with T. Proctor. So who's the Buddha? And so I come to show you. We're here to talk about the things that matter, what makes your life more meaningful and fulfilled. Oh, I'm so glad to know you. So glad to help you throw those fears away. I'll let the sunbeam shine from me. I will light up the hills and then I'll be a part of all you see. Hello, listeners. Welcome to this next episode of Buddha and the Body Coach. Today, we're going to be covering part two of amazing attachment theory. So, T, let's start with a quick recap of what we did last week. We covered the history of attachment. If you haven't listened to that podcast, then I'd highly recommend going and doing that before listening to this one, just so it makes sense. Yeah, we don't want to backtrack and bore you with a lot of information we already covered. Exactly. So, history of attachment... And we covered the imprints of attachment. And the reason we call it an imprint is because if you think of silly putty, when you stick your thumb into silly putty and it kind of retains, I hope everybody knows what silly putty is. Come on, everybody knows. You know, don't you, (laughs) listeners? Come on. (laughs) Okay. So when you stick your thumb into silly putty, it retains that impression. And our young souls, our young psyches are very much like that. They retain the impressions of the environment. In particular, they retain the impression or the imprint of the primary caregiver's relationship with them. That's a really good analogy. We've actually been in workshops where they hand that somebody and you actually play with it and it's really helpful. So... As you retain these impressions, they go on and not only do they accumulate and start to kind of form your sense of yourself and the world and how the world is going to be for you, um, they also start to kind of self-perpetuate. And we'll get into that more, especially when we talk about one of the styles that we're getting into today. But we'll go ahead and keep moving on through what we're doing because we talked about four different styles of attachment last time. Um, yeah, so we got the avoidant dismissive style and the anxious preoccupied style and secure. So we'll be covering a little bit more around what it means to have a secure base today. So last episode, we want to remind you of the four S's, safe, seen, sued, and secure. Secure, yeah. So <laughs> um, we hope that one went in. And then... Moving on from there, we're going to be covering the fourth attachment style, which is called disorganized attachment. And then we will be talking about how you can do the repair and end secure attachment. Yeah, and just earned secure attachment. That is going to be the focus. That's ultimately what we want to do and where we want to go with this. Yeah, so just before we jump in, I just want to go back to that silly putty thing because... The beautiful thing about pussy is that it is flexible and that it can move, it can adapt, and it kind of reminds me of the the neuroplasticity of the brain, you know, and just how fixed we can get in certain mindsets, but actually the brain has a lot of capacity to shift and change. Well, since you are referring back to that, I'm going to test you and see if you remember what the FACES acronym is. (laughs) Oh my God, no way. (laughs) (laughs) Flexible, adaptive coherent <laughs> and energized and stable brilliant so there you go i'm surprised i remembered that this morning <laughs> <laughs> if you remembered that anybody listening then you get a gold star absolutely <laughs> so uh, this flexibility is is a feature not only of our innate capacity but of a healthy system of a healthy psyche and of course human beings are resilient And human beings now, uh, in one of the popular terms, have uh, plasticity. Brains have plasticity and brains can change, which is actually not something that they thought, researchers thought, back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. It was pretty much decided that the brain reached its mature state around 20 
and there weren't many changes happening. But the fact is that uh, brains can change throughout our lifetime. In fact, there's a Dan Siegel story about a 92-year-old man. Oh, I, ho- I was hoping you were going to remember that one. Go ahead. No, go on. I, w- I want you to tell it. This is great. This 92-year-old man who was a powerful L.A. attorney comes in, and he's um, recently lost his wife. And he's come in at the behest of his children who say he's been depressed. Of course, he doesn't recognize he's depressed or actually any interstate because he is like what we uh, described in the avoidant dismissing checking out type in the last podcast. He's very not in touch with his feelings. So as Dan Siegel works with him and slowly kind of carefully guides him without stepping on this person's boundaries into perhaps regaining what he says is half of the brain that hasn't been activated. That kind of um, that kind of stimulates this man's curiosity. Oh, half of my brain isn't stimulated. So he goes along with it. He's very skeptical and very cynical and probably quite a few eye rolls during the process. But during this process, all the different tools that Uh, Dr. Siegel uses and all the different therapeutic techniques and the connecting techniques, this man gains, really, for the first time in his life, an ability to feel his feelings, to describe his feelings, to express his feelings to another person. Wow. And so this is 92 years old, and so from 92 until the time that he dies at 99, he feels that he's had a new lease on life, and he has a rich and um, coherent experience with his family and his loved ones that's absolutely magical you know i wonder if they had like actual brain imaging scans and they could see his brain lighting up i'll have a little look on the internet if i do find anything i will put that in the show notes but that is just absolutely amazing i mean at that age to start to use so much more of your brain it you know it just kind of makes me think how many of us are not really accessing what is our potential or even close to our potential. Anyway, so moving on from that great story, thanks for telling it. Yeah, so I mean the moral of the story, if there's a moral, is that our brains can change, we can change, and life can become more full, even if we didn't even recognize that that was on the table. Yeah, so you can heal. Yeah, healing can happen at, at really any stage. We can repair. And that's really the theme for today is repair. Nice. Moving on to the first attachment style that we'll talk about today, the fourth attachment style, which we didn't cover in our last podcast. It's called disorganized attachment. Yeah. So, I mean, with disorganized attachment, the the clue is a little bit in the name. And it's not actually really an attachment style. If you were going to describe what disorganized attachment is like, it would be, I don't know what to do. So it's kind of a freeze in the nervous system. So when a a young person is under the care of somebody who simultaneously provides care, but is also scary, then the infant doesn't understand how to react or how to get the connection that they need to survive and so they develop this disorganized response yeah and the reason it's called disorganized is that it's actually not a coherent response whereas even becoming avoidant and dismissive that's a coherent and organized response i'll stand away you know and turn my back or the the pleading and the checking in of the preoccupied style whereas this is a complete, you, you've basically blown up the child's mind and it keeps getting blown up over and over again. And as I say that, I realize this is, uh, this is next level. This is, um, this is the kind of attachment that leads ultimately to really tremendous difficulties in future life and future relationships. But talking a little bit more about the history, um, I just want to double down on the double bind that happens for a disorganized child because there is this freeze between the need for care and terror of the parent figure. 
So the person that you would go to to take care of you is actually scary, threatening, or even dangerous. And that absolutely blows up a child. That blows up their coherence of the situation. That blows up their ability to make step-by-step platform growth. And it creates all kinds of chaos in their nervous system. Yeah, and this is the the style that is well that that tends to associate with abusive backgrounds. But it doesn't absolutely have to stem from that. It can be a caregiver who is unstable and unpredictable. So maybe just, you know, a, a parent figure who's a little bit freaked out and the child can't quite work them out. It can produce this kind of I'm not quite sure, I don't know what to do, attachment. Yeah, even if there was just a lot of kids around and there was a totally chaotic situation and there was no coherent way to get the care that was needed. So there is a history there. And from that history springs a a situation for the individual person. And we've marked that with uh, four particular points. Yeah, so generally the disorganized style is going to have a little bit of trouble in school so this might look like the problem child a disruptive kid so they will often experience a lot of rejection so from peers as well as teachers so and that's you know, point too is that is that they experience rejection yeah. and that their type actually provokes rejection yeah, and so again, we're kind of reaching this almost like this loop, this double bind that this uh, style tends to kind of be in. And it's really hard and it's it's really painful. It's very difficult to deal with. So if you think about, say, an average teacher where I'm from in the UK has got like a class of 40 kids, mm. you know, and if you've got one child who's really, really disruptive What tends to happen is that they're going to be punished, you know, because we have this penal system. But, you know, what that child really needs is a lot of support, a lot of understanding and compassion. Now, generally, they don't get that unless they're just really, really lucky. And so it snowballs. So they they experience this sense of rejection and it becomes part of their identity. And they can develop something called rejection sensitive syndrome where they walk around you're not you're not going to say rsd (laughs) rsd we love an acronym i was so (laughs) i was so taken by your your acronym (laughs) i've got it written all over the place you said it for me (laughs) so yeah rsd rejection sensitive dysphoria so that's basically you're walking around in the world and you just believe that nobody likes you that everybody is going to reject you sooner or later. So imagine somebody who doesn't have this, right? They might walk past somebody in a corridor and they know the person. Let's imagine it was in an office and the person doesn't respond to them. They just walk past them. If you don't have RSD, you might just be like, "Hmm, maybe they were in a bad mood. But if you've got RSD, you take that personally and as a personal rejection. Or somebody who has this would uh, then go... Can I interrupt you? Here? Yeah, sure. And, and in somebody who is disorganized, attached, you not only take it as a sense of rejection, but it can kind of collapse your whole sense of self for the day. Yeah. And then you can walk around feeling like, you know, a nothing, a nobody, a real, or even worse than that, a real piece of crap. Yeah. And, and this is... From some imagined incident in the hallway. Mm, yeah, literally they will carry that with them all day. Be thinking about it. What did they do wrong? You know, w- was it something that I said? Was it something that I did? Was it something I was wearing? So it's it's actually, it's really can be quite intense. Yeah, and that speaks to that. That sounds a little bit more like the preoccupied attachment. And it's a good point to bring in is that the disorganized style could look preoccupied. They could look. Um, avoidant and dismissive, but overall, uh, and they can also look really any other way. Anything else could be going on. They can act out. They can shut down. They can disappear. They can 
do all kinds of all kinds of different behaviors yeah so when they get into relationships like intimate relationships you know this really starts to show up there so as you can imagine it is quite difficult you know if if you say something like that is totally unintended to offend someone and then they've taken it the wrong way you know it's difficult to deal with somebody's meltdown <laughs> all of the time so they tend to have a lot of problems in intimate relationships and again this kind of loop is reinforcing itself so it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy yeah and i, I think that brings us to the third point to reinforce I, we've mentioned it but there is within the disorganized attached person a very incoherent sense of self and what that means is that a lot of times they don't have a footing they don't have a base they don't know who they are and so from that not knowing who they are they're always trying to find maybe a little place to rest or a place to sit or they're just in total chaos and disorganization it's incredibly important that we realize that these people most of all don't need more rejection more punishment more disdain they need compassion yeah. And also just to bring in this point, we mentioned this in the last podcast, but the disorganized attachment style is not a mistake. It was right for the environment that the infant was in. Do you want to add anything? Yeah, I think, you know, I think whereas the other styles, you could you could say more that way that they're right because they're actually adaptations. This is such a non-adaptation. This is such an absence of adaptation is that it's like the computer that turns on, but it never boots up, so it just keeps kind of having that little spinning wheel of death. <laughs> That's what's going on inside. The, the, the system's never booting up. The attachment system's never booting up, and it never lands on, you know, whether it's going to be OS or Windows or, or uh, Google platform. It never lands on what operating system it's going to be. Yeah, so... Yeah, it's this one's definitely the hardest one, I think. And generally in therapeutic settings, it's considered quite difficult because this can manifest in uh, kind of more extreme ways, you know, so they can be, you know, sometimes verbally abusive or aggressive, uh, you know, get stressed out easily um, or highly sensitive so it can be a difficult one to treat yeah actually thanks for bringing that back in because there's two points to recognize here first of all if you're looking at them from the standpoint of what might really be going on in sense getting a sense of their mind they are either looking for a secure base and trying whatever strategy they can find and simultaneously, they might be testing what seems like a secure base. So a lot of times they're pushing limits, they're testing, they're, they're acting out within, say, a therapeutic relationship or acting out in school. And it's really a cry for help. Yeah, it's just, you know, I'm going to just test you to see if you, you're okay to be with, to just check if I'm safe, you're not going to hate me. Or I'm going to get what I need as well, you know. Yeah, and you know, it speaks to the sense of threat that these people are feeling within their nervous system. They're they're kind of under constant threat. Yeah, it's a and very it's, heightened state of threat. And it's not unlike um, PTSD, which is our fourth point, is that people in general with insecure attachments, any of the three insecure types, the avoidant, dismissive, the anxious, preoccupied, and the disorganized, all are vulnerable to PTSD in greater ways than people with secure attachment. Yeah, so they're not as resilient. They tend not to recover from stress as well. Should we unpack that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, well, what do you want to say about it? Well, this goes back to that coherent sense of self. This goes back to that feeling of having a secure base. If you don't feel that you have a home, a secure base, then when everything gets blown up, literally or metaphorically, during a traumatic situation, 
There isn't any safe place to come back and land. There is no nest. There is no inner psychological nest. And I don't want to get way down the road of what creates a self, but the sense of self is a representation of a good enough home life where, <laughs> not to flog a horse here, but the four S's come back in a safe, <laughs> seen, soothed, and secure. That's a base. That gets internalized into our psyches very much the way that abuse could get internalized. So safe, seen, gets impressed into the silly putty. Safe, seen, safe, and seen. Safe, safe, safe. So that experience of safe over and over gets impressed into the psyche of the human being. Yeah, whereas if that doesn't happen, then, you know, we tend to get more of these insecure styles. So um, let's talk a little bit about the nervous system then, because, you know, the nervous system, like we said, I mean, we've kind of said it goes into that freeze response. So freeze, maybe even a collapse, um, disassociated. Yeah, so, you know, we had talked about I don't think we covered it in the last episode, but if you look at the fight, flight, freeze of the amygdala, fight, 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 flight, freeze, and collapse <laughs> of the amygdala, and don't worry if you don't know what the amygdala is, it's just a piece of the brain, a region of the brain. Yeah, that's where we tend to go when we feel very stressed. Yeah, that's when you when someone's screaming, I'm in my amygdala, you got to get out of the way. <laughs> Dean knows all about that one. <laughs> so, okay. So, so fight, flight, freeze, or collapse. Um, when you look at the avoidant dismissive type, what will, would we be looking at? Can I answer that one, please? Sure. So, that one is going to look like flight. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, checking out. Okay. And preoccupied... So Anxious. That's checking in, but in the nervous system, it looks like fight. So coming towards. So you're ch you're fighting for connection. Yeah, literally. Right, fighting for connection. Okay, and so in the freeze state, there is we're back to that catch twenty two. We're back to that double bind, where the person can neither approach nor run away. They they have both need and terror of the caregiver. That state is a frozen state. I just don't know where to go. I freeze. I may collapse into a, a puddle. And what that does to the sense of self, what that does to the mind, is it often creates a dissociation where the only thing left for me to do is leave the body. Mm. And what that means when I say leave the body is that suddenly it's as if you have popped out of your own body and what's happening to it isn't happening to you. You're somewhere floating above and behind, perhaps. You have a sense of unreality as if everything is in a dream. And people may have experienced this in extreme situations because it is very much like what happens in, in trauma. Yeah. And it is an adaptive response in itself. But it's the kind of thing where... If it happens to you, you know, every time you walk out of your house or in the grocery store, you lose the ability to relate in a human way. You lose the ability to apply your capacities in life if you're constantly dissociating. Yeah, so it's like sometimes when you're with people who do dissociate a lot and you suddenly realize that they're not there, you know, you're kind of talking to them and then they're just gone right. for, for a little while. And sometimes we call it spacing out. Yeah. And spacing out is actually a good and normal thing to I be able to do. I was just about to say that. That's, it's a bit different. And, but this kind of spacing out is like deep space. Yeah. <laughs> like deep, disconnected space. No way to connect. Mm. There's, you're like in a space bubble without any way to reach. It's like Major Tom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. You know, it's funny, like when you were talking about that then, because in the animal kingdom, you know, the freeze response is, is prevalent. So let's say um, a bear is chasing a deer. So when the deer has no other choice, can't run, 
you know, and they definitely can't fight a bear, so forget that one. <laughs> they will freeze. And bears, or I mean, a lot of, a lot of you know, animals won't want to eat a corpse because it would mean that they would, you know, get diseased. So on part of the, the animal's nervous system, it's sort of like, okay, I've got no other choice here but just to play dead and hope that they, they're going to think I'm, I'm dead, <laughs> you know? And so you can sort of see it's like it's the last hope, basically. Um, and see in the relationship to the caregiver, that may have been right for that moment, but what happens generally, like T said with the silly pussy analogy, is that we carry that impression and it's it becomes, it, it feels like it's a sort of fixed thing within the nervous system. So if we don't attend to it, then that becomes a part of how we respond and it becomes really inappropriate. And what needs to happen is that you know, there's there's this phrase in spiritual work called soul retrieval. And this is really the realm of this soul retrieval. What needs to happen is that usually it takes some help. Maybe there's some big movement from inside the person, but this person needs to be found and brought back to life. This person is kind of in purgatory. Yeah, it's a very desperate place to be, actually. And couple that with the RSD. Yeah. So they're in purgatory. Any bid that they make to try to get noticed or, or try to get found gets rejected, and that keeps reinforcing the loop. Yeah, so they, they do really need help. So if you are actually listening to this and you're, you are identifying with this style, you need somebody to come in and help. We're going to talk about ways that you can do that, but T, you have... Uh, a book here and you've got this passage in this book and um, if you haven't really understood disorganized attachment from our explanations I think you'll get it from this so um, this is from a book called The Developing Mind by Dan Siegel and um, he basically references a case study in the book Right. So this is a case study where someone is taking the adult attachment interview, which we talked about in the previous episode, and that determines your attachment style. It's a very elaborate process by which they interview you and then determine the quality of your answers, the style of your behavior during the answers. They use those to determine your attachment style. And this is uh, considered a really emblematic example of someone that's disorganized and I'm going to tell you a couple things in advance and first of all you'll notice that there's a switching of time tense there's long pauses um, there's uh, kind of a back and forth you'll hear the double bind in this and let me just read it this is about this is a uh, man who was uh, adult man who was taking the test and this was his answer to a question about his history with his father about my father, well, that is a different sort of thing. I try not to think about it much. He's always unpredictable, though I think he can control himself, though sometimes he can't, and I couldn't figure out when he would. So I don't, I mean, I couldn't know how to deal with him. And there's a 20-second pause. There were some things that would happen. 17-second pause. And they weren't very fun. I mean, they were scary. Yes, I feel frightened. He is very big and very threatening. Yes. Mm. So, I mean, I've heard that, that passage read out. And still now, when I listen to it again, like, I don't know about you listeners, but it just feels like really confusing in my own body. So <clears throat> my own somatic experience of just listening to tea read that paragraph is a state of confusion and I feel like it's kind of like you know like somebody stuttering through and you're trying to puzzle them out like that kind of feeling yeah actually that leads us to something very fascinating about someone with disorganized attachment is they have almost like a special power it's it's termed projective identification 
but they almost have a special power that can draw you into feeling like they feel, mm-hmm. which is another reason why people reject them, because nobody wants to feel disorganized, disorganized and incoherent. But this magic power, and it's well known in therapy, can be brought into a therapeutic situation and could be identified by the feeling of the therapist. The therapist sits in the presence of this person. As this person talks and relates, the therapist starts to feel disorganized. The therapist starts to feel incoherent. That person is transmitting the feeling. And I would say when that person, the disorganized person, is transmitting the feeling of incoherence, it's like a soul's plea to have someone show them how to deal with that situation inside, that feeling inside, that incoherent chaotic feeling inside. And when a therapist can recognize that inside themselves, inside their own nervous system and body, and regulate it, and even work back and forth with the person to identify the state in the person, that is kind of some of that soul reclamation work. You're saying, okay, I get where you are. I get how you feel. And it's possible to feel another way. So I here am your secure base for now. And that's one of the functions of therapy is to be that secure base, that safe place for a person to land. Wow. Okay. Well, I I hope that really brings it home for our audience. It, It really does for me, you know, like I think just getting the feeling of that in your body and how that is for somebody, I mean, it's quite heartbreaking. So, you know, as T says, there are things that that you can do to help yourself heal. So now I think we are ready to go into the repair process. So repair, as we said, is end secure attachment. And we'll be right back for that. Number one, the things that we want to talk about here is there's five steps we've identified in repairing, repairing ourselves, our attachment styles, and moving towards secure attachment. First step is owning our own attachment. That means, first of all, that we start to recognize our own attachment and determined to repair it. That means that we stop asking everyone else around us to change their styles to accommodate us, but we start to change our style to be able to be more coherent in life. Yeah, and that actually requires some passionate curiosity, you know, to develop yourself and understand yourself better. So that's number two. Yeah, and I think uh, it's worth elaborating on passionate curiosity because this is the people that I work with that really grow are the people that catch fire for this. And people catch fire in different ways. Some people come in and sit down with me and they start a whole process of not only working through things in their sessions and understanding their history and understanding their ability to relate in, in attachment terms, but they get on the internet and they start going to uh, different sites and they start watching different things and they start listening and reading and pretty soon they're going to some retreat here or there, but they catch fire. And, and really, transformation kind of is a fire. So to catch fire like this, to get interested to get engaged in in healing yourself is a real um it's a real drive Mm -hmm. that you can fuel within yourself and that with the right support uh, particularly from a therapist or a coach you can continue forward with yeah and you know what i think that it can just start off with intentionality you know i I want to figure this out. I want to heal myself. And even if you're not really feeling that, you know, that the powerful drive straight away, I think just by um, stating that want for yourself, it can start to come forwards. And it it happens very different, like you said, T, for different people. You know, for me, it took about like five years before that really took fire. But I was doing, you know, bits and bobs here and there. You know, we don't have to rush this this process, but get involved. 
just start making inroads, making pathways? Yeah, this is the time to harness your desperation. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's that whole rock bottom thing, isn't it? Like sometimes you need to get there before you will really shift. Okay, so uh, that is actually perfect then for number three, isn't it? Because that's all about reaching out and, you know, getting help. And there is so much help available. You know, ideally, if you can find a really good therapist and you can refer to our first podcast on some tips for, you know, finding a good professional for you. Um, But if you can't get a good therapist... Just go on the internet, like put the attachment style that, you know, you feel resonates with you into the search engine and you will just get so much help, support and information from people who are just doing like free content out there. I mean, you know, I think we tend not to value it because, you know, it's like there and it's touch of a button and it's free, but people are really giving it away. So you can get a long way just from YouTube, actually. (laughs) But of course, there are books, there are courses that you can do. You mentioned like doing retreats and things like that, support groups. Yeah, support groups as well. Um, Going back to the therapy, I wanted to mention that if you are doing therapy for attachment, make sure that your therapist is versed in attachment, that that they're based in attachment and orientated around attachment, because not all therapies are. No, and this is a deep science. It's like, it's not, um, if, if just because you've done, uh, you know, a degree in psychology, you've done an MA in counseling, like, unless you've specialized in attachment, then no, because <laughs> there is so much to it. Unless they're well-versed, yeah. And I think, you know, I really want to go back and affirm what you said, Alex, because there is so much out there now, and you're right. I don't think we, I think we go, oh, okay, there's that, there's that, and it's like, oh, that isn't a real thing because I'm doing it now. <laughs> but actually, every time you listen to a podcast, every time you watch a video, every time you read a book or an article, you're adding something to your understanding. And there is so much value out there. Um, I've deeply appreciated what I've been able to access when I haven't had access to uh, really in-person tools. However, if you can get in-person work, it's invaluable. Yeah, it, it, it is. I mean, it, it moves you on a lot quicker. I mean, I couldn't work with anybody when I was on a yoga teacher's wage in London for a long time. So I, I, I did do a lot of this self-development work alone. But then when I eventually did get a therapist... It, it really moved me on, you know, very quickly, short space of time. Yeah, and it's alone, but it's also, we tend to think of it as alone, but when you realize that all these people have put in all this work to put their work out there that you can get into, you're not alone. Yeah. There's a lot of help out there. Yeah, it can be hard, though. It can bring up a lot of, you know, things that, a lot of painful memories. It can be uncomfortable, so, like I said earlier, there's no need to rush it. You know, mm. this is going to require processing. So, you know, you might find that for a couple of weeks, as you kind of touch on maybe, you know, painful memories or things, you know, things like that, that you can't focus as well. Um, you know, maybe you might be a little short fused mm. it's good if you if you have people around you you can rely on and trust and just kind of let them know that you might need some extra support as you start to discover more about your attachment style yeah thanks for that reminder because this this work can stir you up and it's they call it work because it can be playful but it's serious and a person needs to be able to tolerate some challenges and some difficulties and some difficult feelings in all of this. Yeah. So that's a reality. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the characteristics is that the disorganized style or any of the insecure styles, they're, they're not very resilient to stress. So, you know, you might have more of a challenge in dealing with things like this. So, yeah, I think if you can get the support and guidance, do it for yourself don't even think about it, just do it. Right. And in that support and guidance, you'll be 
doing number four, which is self-reflection. This mm -hmm. is the part where we talk about taking a deep dive. Yes, this is not looking at yourself in the mirror. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. The reason it's not is because you can't see your inner self in the mirror. Uh, you can see your inner self in the mirror of relationship. And funny enough, we talked about how even, let's just start with how we talked about pets. You can see your inner self in your relationship with your pets. <laughs> did we start talking about pets? <laughs> well, we did in the first uh, in the first uh, thwarted podcast. We should just say that episode. you know we did we tried we recorded one yesterday and honestly it was like we like there had been a transmission of the disorganized attachment styles mind into our minds. It was uh, yeah, and and then it was Fourth of July and it was in the evening and our town. Like every child and, and young adult in the town has uh, fireworks in the town on 4th of July. And it had, had just gotten to that point. And <laughs> right about halfway through the podcast, the town lit up with explosions. And, and uh, <laughs> it speaks to how, uh, how, important we need it, how important it is to have a safe environment, a safe and secure environment, even, even to do a podcast. <laughs> exactly. So actually, yeah, in that... Um rehearsal we did talk about pets oh uh, yeah yeah <laughs> and um and and how they can help mirror some of our patterns so that we can um i mean they're like the, the perfect um safe um uh, i wouldn't say object what would i say because they're not persons are the animal whatever um attachment figure that'll do <laughs> uh to yeah to, to practice on. they are a relationship yeah they are real relationships and so are you a smothery pet owner <laughs> are you a needy pet owner you know are you preoccupied with your pet are you you someone that, that kind of likes to know that the pet's there but doesn't actually like to interact with the pet much, maybe. <laughs> he likes the pet to stay in its own kind of realm, uh, either outside or in its bed. Um, does the pet freak you out? Does does just having the fact of having the uh, responsibility of having a pet just overwhelm and freak you out and make you feel like you're in a double bind and you don't know what to do? You start to look at, what are my relationships like? First of all, look at your relationships with your pets. Yeah. Th then. Yeah, and it's um, there's a whole kind of like uh, exploration, isn't there, of, of how pets internalize our psychodynamics, which I don't know. I it just fascinates me that maybe we should do a podcast on it one time. But um, yeah, yeah, how your how your pet takes on your subconscious mind that might be a podcast one day. Yeah, I mean, well, well, we do, humans do. I mean, this is what happens with the attachment styles. Well, that's, so, yeah, that's exactly right. It, it's been said that the child drinks in the mother's psyche or mother's psychological makeup at, as if it was milk. So anyway, moving on from pets, then we have real relationships in life. Yeah, so you want to get to real relationships as soon as you can. Um, if you're somebody who's kind of more characterized by the disorganized style, then it may be more difficult for you to, to go into real relationships. So start with the pet as soon as you can. Get out into real relationships, your partners, your friends. Ask your family members, you know, hey, do you know, how, how do I tend to react when you tell me something that's difficult? You know, what kind of a, a person do you, do you think I am? Yeah, am I a checking in person or am I a checking out person? That's a great way to put it, actually. You know, sometimes people don't know that about themselves. A lot of times people aren't aware. Maybe they think they're one way, but they're predominantly another way. Yeah. So just, hey, ask somebody that feels safe. Make sure they're a safe enough person. Am I a checking in person or am I a checking out person? Or <laughs> yeah. do I feel chaotic to you? Mm. you know, which, again... It, we say that we're kind of, I'm kind of, I think we both are kind of tender about the, the disorganized because it's such a difficult style. It's not easy for a disorganized person just to simply like start their own process. Yeah, exactly. Journaling can actually be a really, really good way and um, everybody can do it of, self, you know, learning self-reflection. So, you know, just writing out your thoughts on a daily basis and having them reflected back to you. You'll be able to notice little patterns in your behavior, um, things that are coming up. And then one of the things that I I use myself is notes on um, my iPhone, so voice notes, 
what I'll do is I'll go on a nice walk and then I'll voice note into my phone my thoughts and then I will come home and listen to what I've said. And, you know, it is a little bit of a babble. Um, It's a bit of a brainstorm, but it's really quite fascinating because there are always things and then you're like, oh, okay, that's what's going on. This really kind of lights me up because it's such a fabulous use of the phone. <laughs> I know it's not your favorite item. Well, it's just like, to be honest, you're, it's, you're kind of like disorganized with your phone. It's like, <laughs> love, hate, love, hate, love, hate. Yeah, <laughs> that's about right. That's about right. So um, I was a bit cell phone or I was a bit smartphone resistant for quite a few years. So <laughs> anyway, we'll move on to uh, maybe I can make it. Number five, make a small repair with my iPhone. <laughs> so number five on the list of, of uh, working on repairs and working towards earned secure attachment is to seek out small repairs. And the reason I say small repairs is that this is particularly in attachment work, people immediately kind of want to go back and repair and fix the relationship with parents. But it's not always really useful to try to do that right away. And sometimes it doesn't work out even if you've done a tremendous amount of work on yourself. So maybe give the parents a little space, work on your own stuff, and just work on small, simple steps of recognizing the importance of repairs within relationship. The ability to recognize and the ability to make another person feel felt is really what it comes down to. So that even if you have to come off of your, you know, rock solid position a little bit or your indignance or your, your um, feeling of being unseen yourself, you might be able to start to use this repair to go in and say to someone you care about, hey, I know what I said hurt you. And I can see that, that that upset you. And I'm sorry about that. And for some of us, that comes naturally. For some of us, it's, it feels like it would bring on such tremendous shame to admit that we've done anything wrong. So wherever you are on the spectrum, if you can start to find some little way to incorporate repair into your life, it is the theme of today's talk, and it is one of the most powerful things you can do in your life. Simple repairs. Not massive, you know, tear down the world and go back and repair your whole history, but hey, I'm sorry about what I said. Yeah, we don't, ne- we don't necessarily need the showdown with the parents, and often it, it doesn't really work or shift anything anyway, because like we said, the attachment style was right for that environment so it exists as a dynamic between you know you and the parent so just you changing yours doesn't necessarily change theirs or even change the dynamic but if you change yours and actually i'm going to get to this at the very end of the talk if you change yours and change it dramatically whatever's going on with your parent is going to have a lot less impact on you Yes. Especially as you're an adult and you're living your own life. That is that is very, very true. Um, and it, it just it kind of helps you cope better because you do understand them as well. So it even can bring compassion for where they are because you understand how they then got their attachment style. Beautiful point. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. So as we get to the end of today's podcast, we just want to bring back in and mention some of the tools that have already perhaps come up, but some of the important things that we can do on the way to repair and earn secure attachment. Yeah, so the most important one is learning to self-regulate. And we did a whole podcast on self-regulation. So go back and listen to that because if you can find a sense of safety within your own nervous system, so safe, seen, soothed, and secure, if you can find that, then you're already halfway there. So finding the tools and practices that work to soothe your nervous system, listen to that podcast. Yeah, and we've already talked about a lot of the other tools. We've talked about therapy and particularly attachment-oriented therapy. We've talked about journaling. Um, 
we haven't talked about so much the specific topics of journaling, which would be, you know, how am I triggered? Why am I triggered? What situations are difficult for me? Um, what attachment styles resonate with me? And so forth. So that kind of journaling, specific kind of journaling around specific questions that you can get help with or that you can make up yourself. Yeah, and then journaling as well can also help you understand your triggers. And I think that when you understand that there are certain situations that tend to trigger you or trigger your attachment system, then you can build a case against your attachment system. So what often happens is uh, the attachment system believes it's under threat when it isn't. And so what we have to do is teach it that, you know, it isn't threatened. Um, so yeah, understanding what those triggers are, writing them down, you know, really getting close to your patterns of behavior. Um, cleaning up the language as well, how you learn to express your feelings of uh, your needs, your boundaries, or, you know, feelings of unsafety with your partner. That's really important. Right. Now, this is really interesting because it can seem very pedantic, first of all, to make the I statements. And let me just say right off the bat, you can misuse I statements because if you just say, I feel that you're an asshole... <laughs> <laughs> that's not really <laughs> so you have to have it look if you don't have a personal sense of integrity in all this you need to pray for one because it's going to take some integrity in your relationships but as you speak as you learn to slow down with what you're feeling if you own what's going on for you and make your partner less and less responsible even if they had some part in it which often they do and, and this is not about abuse. This is not about um, gaslighting yourself because if there's abuse, that's a next level. But if you learn to speak from what you're experiencing and even speak from your body experience because it's very undeniable. So when I heard you say that, I felt the sinking feeling in my belly. It's very different from how dare you say that to me I don't deserve to be treated like that. You know, you can see, oh, you know, I'm noticing that when you shout at me, there's a kind of a um, plate that goes over my heart and, and I feel disconnected. Mm, that, I mean, you, you're going quite high level with people mm. there. Look online, there are feeling wheels <laughs> that, that, you know, where you can actually look at um different different words for feelings and you can just start to you know get um more comprehensive with the language ar around feelings and then you can learn to express yourself better yeah then then we can come in and work on that deeper <laughs> stuff together yeah That's a you good can work point. with t on that um but i think what is really important to understand is that a lot of the time with the insecure styles expressing feelings and needs is very threatening so a good way to start is just to say hey you know partner it doesn't feel very safe to express my needs right now now they may take that the wrong way because they may hear it like oh my god you know I haven't made a safe space for my partner to express themselves so then you might get a little bit of a pushback I think it's really good to talk this through with your partner when nobody's in there amygdala <laughs> in this stressed stress response when you're feeling calm and relaxed just talk like hey listen you know when I've got a need and I don't feel like safe to express it what would be a good way to communicate that to you like how would you you know how how would you hear it yeah I think what you're saying is really great and specific and you also might want to add Listen, I noticed that I act out, you know, when I have a need, and I don't want to do that anymore. So I'm hoping that rather than start attacking you or blaming you and shaming you, that I can just slow down and identify to you what my own need is. It's possible your partner will hear that. Uh, another, from the avoidant dismissive side, you might say, 
when I notice that when we start to talk, there's a point at which I kind of shut down and I want to go away. And I want to start to recognize that and be able to slow down and identify, oh, I'm feeling like going away. Rather than just going away, I'm feeling like going away. And recognize that there's a limit that's been reached. Mm, yeah, like, especially, you know, if you, you tend towards more dismissive statements, if somebody tells you how they're feeling, oh, come on, you know, <laughs> it wasn't that bad, mm. like that sort of thing. Mm. So, yeah, being aware of that. Right. And I think this leads very much into this dynamic between being able to express our needs in a clear way from our own experience and being able to state boundaries in a way that's not shutting another person out, but maintains the integrity of ourself and the integrity of our t- autonomy. T, are you teasing us with a podcast on boundaries there? Yeah, I think you caught me. <laughs> <laughs> really, yeah. though, it's, um, it's a big subject. It's another one of the bigs. It's important. And yeah, we're going to cover it. Great. Okay, so we're wrapping up here. Did we miss anything out? I think we did. I'm sorry, <laughs> just something came to mind then. So I want to make sure before we go that listeners are aware that all of these insecure styles of attachment exist on a spectrum. So with reference to the disorganized style today, just think about that when you are listening or whether you listen back. Um, And then was there anything else that we didn't mention? Yeah, I think I want to say a little more about them being on a spectrum because it uh, it bears understanding that these things are not just these categories that people are put into once and for all. They're fluid styles of trying to negotiate the four S's. Um, Those styles could be changing with different relationships. A person could legitimately be avoidant dismissing in one relationship and could be preoccupied and anxious in another relationship. Yes, exactly. Particular to disorganized, disorganized responses can come up because of trauma. That's a different category of disorganized that tends to be single incident trauma, which disorganized comes up. That's a, that's a category unto itself. But it doesn't mean if you have disorganized in one realm that you're disorganized in all realms. I made the example uh, yesterday about maybe somebody is some just regular preoccupied uh, anxious attachment overall. But then, for instance, they are um, triggered by authority so that if they were to get pulled over by a police officer, they could go into a very dissociated state. They could go into a very fearful, disrupted state because they've had bad experiences with authority. Yeah. Oh, good. That's interesting. So anything else you want to say? Yeah. The final thing, uh, there's a couple of things here. And one thing is that I'm going to be putting a uh, link to the Tronic, Dr. Tronic's still face experiment up And I waited till the end because I wanted people to hear what we had to say first because actually it can be quite profound and even a bit triggering. It's just a two-minute exercise, um, maybe a four-minute video altogether. But it shows an experience of a baby that goes through connection with mom, disconnection with mom, and reconnection with mom. And all of the variety of strategies that that baby employs as it loses connection so that'll be on there dr tronic's still face experiment yeah it's always worth checking our show notes actually because we do put a lot of information there so now i want to bring it to the spiritual dimension because really without talking about this um i feel like i leave something incredible out and that is um what i came across the other day it was interesting um there was a podcast called attachment to the invisible Now, it was from the Christian point of view, and that's not my orientation, but I really liked that idea of attached to the invisible. Because what that is, is a sense that goes deeper than your inner images of reality. 
than the inner impressions in the silly putty, so to speak. It goes deeper into a sense that, as we were talking about, I believe, in the self-regulation, the universe is a friendly place. It goes deeper into connecting with the sense of your place in the presence of life, the immutable, the invisible, the intangible. Some people experience that through a deep, boundless love. Some people experience that through presence. Some people experience that as a profound sense of awareness. But there are possibilities of attachment in spiritual life that go even beyond the attachment to our internal objects, our internal representations. That gets deeper, and I won't go any deeper than that, but I want to make it available as a possibility in your mind. Wonderful. Okay, are we done? I think that's it. Marvelous. Okay. <laughs> so our next podcast, which comes out on Tuesday, is going to be on the subject of values. What you value, why you value it, and how to bring those values forward into the world and why. Why should you? So let's have a discussion on that topic. And if you have any questions or if you've got just some things that you want to talk about that have come up for you during this podcast, please feel free to drop us an email. All of our contact details are in the show notes and you can find both of our websites there if you want to work with us too. Thank you. And thank you. Special thanks to Reed Anderson for 